0: Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. I'm Rebecca Lawrence and this is Voices. In this set of interviews, I will be focusing on issues of inclusion, diversity and allyship through intimate conversations with wine industry professionals from all over the globe. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps us cover equipment, production and publication costs. And remember to subscribe and rate our show wherever you tune in. to the Italian Wine Podcast with me, Rebecca Lawrence. Today, we've got another great wine conversation to share with you because I'm joined by Julia Coney. Julia, welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for having me. Uh, So let's start, um, as I often do, by asking you to introduce yourself uh, to our listeners. I mean, I hope they already know who who you are, (laughs) but if they don't, maybe you can just give us a quick intro to who you are and what you're currently working on. So I'm um, Julia
1: Coney. I am a wine journalist, a, the founder of Black Wine Professionals, and a contributing editor at Vine Pair.
0: Okay, so we've got a good lot to get to. <laughs> That's a lot of stuff to be doing. Um, but I want to start with how you got into wine and whether there was this kind of aha or light bulb moment uh, when you realised that this is what you wanted to do. Because I'm a little bit aware of you, as you know, we've met um, and you didn't start off in wine. In fact, you've had a couple of careers before you got into wine. Yes, my aha
1: moment with, you know, wanting to work in wine came uh, when I was deciding to leave a beauty writing career after having a legal career as a paralegal and deciding I wanted to write about wine or food. And then I made the decision to do wine at the end of 2015. So it was I started drinking wine in my late 20s when I had my aha moment. And I was living in Texas and my lawyer, the one I worked for, he paired Napa Valley Cabernet and Texas barbecue. And I was just blown away. And I studied abroad in France and people are like, oh, you didn't get it there. I'm like, no, everyone drinks wine in France. So it's not like a aha moment. It's cheaper to drink wine than have a soda. So it was like, OK. But that moment where he paired wine in with me and, and really explained and just sat down with me, I was like, OK. But I never thought about it as a career until... Literally, that was 1998. And this was, I didn't move into one until 2016.
0: So, okay. So that's quite a gap. You took your time deciding this is something. <laughs> I took my time. I'm quite interested because you you worked um, in beauty and fashion as well. And I happen to know that you love perfume. And I wondered if this is something that helps you, this background in your wine career, because obviously there's a lot of smells, aromas in wine and having to describe something like that that's quite ephemeral to other people. Was Maybe this gives you a, a, a unique perspective that other people in the industry just don't have.
1: Well, it's one of those things, and I have to always use this caveat. I don't wear fragrances when I'm tasting wine with other people. I know people are always like, "Oh though, I have to give this caveat. Um, I'm talking to a chemist right now because I have slowly started to figure out where on the body to place a fragrance that no one smells, like but you know you have it on is really fascinating. But, for me, beauty was never about just like makeup. For me, I love skincare and fragrance. Those were my two top main writing hubs for me because I love ingredients. I am a sucker for like what is in something and the, the science behind it. And when I met Jean-Claude Elena, who was the nose for Hermes, I really kind of went down a rabbit hole of fragrance. So it wasn't just like, oh, it's a fragrance and everything. I am really into the flowers, the aromas, the fruit that comes through in a fragrance. And also, the same as wine, fragrance has a scent memory. There is a moment you remember a certain glass of wine that you remember a certain fragrance. And I studied flowers and aromas in Grasse, France, which is the hub of fragrance in the world. And I just use that in wine because you really understand, it's kind of like when you smell a wine that's not well-made, and then you smell one that's well-made. It's the same, it's like fragrance. You smell this chemically synthetic fragrance and you're like, "Mm," and then you smell like this beautiful one well-made and you have to go, oh, wow, that is something. So that's how, to me, they work together.
0: Yeah, that completely makes sense. And particularly when you talk about it being about the ingredients, the things that are in it, the chemical compounds, Obviously, those things are exactly the same in perfume as they are in wine. And when I teach tasting with people, I quite often say that one of the best things you can do is 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 literally go out and find those those scents in your world. You know, get out into a garden and smell individual flowers. Try and use different spices in your cooking, and like you say, build up this scent memory uh, as broadly as you possibly can. So that makes complete sense to me.
1: I love it though. I love it. I love it. I love it. It's you know, like it's one of those things. That, yeah, like you said, go to the garden, go to the store, go to the market. Smell all the fruits, smell all the flowers, smell all the herbs, and the you know all that fun stuff we like. We geek out about in wine. It's the same with fragrance.
0: So with the chemist you're working with, you'll you'll have to develop a a line of fragrances that smell like the wines but don't make you smell like you've been drinking so that you can wear Sangiovese but don't have to be drinking Sangiovese.
1: But here's the funny thing about it. it. The fragrance is based on where you put it on in your body, right? And, you know, fragrance is taught the same, like pulse points, right? If you put it on like a vein, technically, yes, it's going to smell. No, if it's on your neck, it's near your nose, right? But... You know, one of those things I found, if you put it... Like, for me, also, the the wearing of fragrance is feeling like I'm completely dressed. It's almost like some, like putting on a bracelet or a tie for a man. It's like the final piece of the, the getting dressed. And so I found if I put fragrance behind my knees, I'm not spraying a lot of fragrance. I'm just like almost or like on your belly button. No one knows it because it's not near your nose. They don't really smell it. And you're not really drowning yourself in it. You're more just like a whiff of it.
0: You know that you've, yeah, you have fully dressed on that day without it impacting anybody else necessarily. So let's move into what you're doing in wine because it's, it's so exciting, the work that you've done, and there's, there's so much we could talk about, and I know you've already talked a little bit on the podcast, so I want to talk about some of the newer parts of what you've been doing, uh, and in particular, the project with Black Wine Professionals. So how did this idea come about, and, and what have you been doing with the project?
1: Well, it was was really funny because today marks the one year where the idea came into my head. Wow. Today is like, yeah, (laughs) we're doing it on the day. And I kind of had it in my calendar where like it popped up uh, this morning. And it wasn't one of those things that I fully thought out, you know, before it was Honestly, after the Blackout Tuesday, which happened June 2nd, 2020, after the murder of George Floyd in the United States and the protests and everybody, thing was happening, I kept thinking of how many times I've been on media trips, been at events, and people would tell me they didn't know black wine professionals. They didn't know any black wine p- professionals they can invite. And the idea kept like simmering like after that. Blackout Tuesday. And then I did that Instagram live where I was just really disappointed in the wine industry, not speaking out about what was happening after writing about it for two years. I had been writing about racism in the wine industry for two years. And I was like, we're still like actually acting like this is not happening. And so I woke up and was like, I need to create something. I need to do something to where People who have been working in the industry, they get acknowledged. They have a voice. They get to be part of the people that go on these media trips. They get to be a part of the people that go on the buying trips, you know, not just necessarily like Psalms at a restaurant, but like marketing and wine buyers and to see a lot of, and I knew wine buyers who had never been on a sponsored trip to to buy wine. And I was just shocked. And a little shocked and like, okay, this is, you know, this industry. And so that's how black wine professionals became about, because I, w- it is literally people who your, your career is wine. Like you're, what you're doing is wine. You're getting paid to work in the business in some form or capacity. And you've been doing it. Not necessarily like you're moving into the wine industry. You're in the wine industry. And I wanted to highlight all these names. So if someone was writing an article and they needed a quote they didn't have to go to me all the time to make that quote. Here's a list of people you can quote.
0: Just increasing that visibility, just like 100 fold immediately, you've got a place where you can go. And also, one of the things that I think it's been really important for is for those people who are coming into the industry to, to recognize people who look like them, who are in positions in the industry. You know, who are doing maybe the job they aspire to do one day, and they can go, "Oh, someone who looks like me is doing that, so it is possible for me," which is something that I think is incredibly important in wine. It goes to the saying that is, "You become what you see."
1: I mean, there, the reason we have—I always related to—the reason we have actors is somebody watched a movie and wanted to be an actor. <laughs> they wanted to be in that business. Kind of the same in wine. Right. You want to see somebody in wine. You know, for me, with Ron writing, it was Dorothy Gator who wrote for The Wall Street Journal. And it was Jances Robinson. But really, Dorothy Gator was the first person that looked like me that I saw writing about wine. And she didn't write about wine as like a note. It was like wine as a life. Right. Someone's wedding, you know, they went on a trip or they had a conversation, dinner at home, how we all talk, in my opinion, really talk about wine.
0: Yeah, her her book is just fantastic, or their book.
1: Their book, her and her husband, John Brisher. I, I always, I, they work together, but to me, like, Dorothy was like, I remember re- seeing her face, like, in the drawing for the Wall Street Journal columns back in the day when I was really getting into wine. And I was like, oh, wow, she's writing about wine. And I was discovering wine at the same time the column came out. So my discovery
0: of wine and her column happened in the same day. It's so nice, the synergy of that. And you're so right about looking for people who reflect back you and who you want to be. Because for me, it was seeing um, a song, Whitney Adams, who's no longer really active in wine, but she was doing like very modern, not very traditional YouTube videos and fun podcasts that were both educational, but really like fun and not dry.
1: Whitney was the first, her and Christina's podcast was the first wine podcast I listened to. Mine too. (laughs) people I (laughs) found. So
0: yes, exactly. The crush was amazing. And I, and I actually reached out to Whitney and said, I'm really inspired by what you're doing. And I don't know if I want to get into wine because I'm a young woman and I've got crazy colored hair and tattoos and no one in my industry looks like this. I go to my local wine shop and they're all old white men. And she was just like, well, then you've got to get into the industry. And I was like, okay. Yeah, because we want the
1: colored hair. And if we want the colored hair. We want the tattoos.
0: Exactly. Because she's like, if you're thinking of that, someone else is thinking it too. And we need more people who just tell everyone that it's possible. So what kind of... Work are you doing with black wine professionals? Obviously, you've got the website and you've got the networking. I wondered if you've been doing events. So I know you're quite um, active on social media, obviously. So give us a kind of rundown.
1: We couldn't do events yet, right? <laughs> the world is slowly opening, so events are happening for 2022. But what we've been doing is master classes. We've partnered with a lot of brands, and what we do is we have people they anybody that's on the list serve can attend the classes. Like those sponsored by the brands, the brands send them the wine, and we actually have one of the black wine professionals teach the class. <laughs> so they, they teach the class to other professionals about their wine subject, and also we make sure the brand pays that person. They don't pay—we We ask for a donation because black wine professionals is run on donation, and as my husband likes to say, our money. Like it is not, it is not like, you know, we only, you know, we ask people to donate whatever they can. I mean, people donate from $5 to $5,000 and we use that to make sure like the website is running and we pay, like we have blind tasting classes and we have someone who is an advanced CMS. She teaches the blind tasting classes and we pay her. And that one's open to the public because one of the reasons a lot of people are interested in wine because a lot of people have watched the Psalm movies, right? And the, the first one was definitely about blind tasting. But how many times have you seen a move, uh, a, a class where a black woman? is teaching a blind tasting class. You're getting a pamphlet, like we create a booklet and you get it and we send you like the tasting sheets and we partner with Master the World with the kit and everybody pay pay for the kit. We pay the instructor. And it's great to see 30 people on a Saturday in a class just learning about blind tasting. And some of them don't want to be in the business. We had a couple of lawyers on and they were like, we just want to learn it because it's like a party trick. I was like, okay. And And making it fun and approachable. That's really what we want to do with the wine. and But we want to highlight, like I said, you know, the person who leads that one uh, Cole Nicholson. That's what she does. That's super
0: cool. So we should all be watching this space for, for 2022 for the next for the, for the blow up of all your events when we can actually <laughs> get in person. Yes. It be in person. Yes. Yes. So speaking of representation and how how much the wine industry has failed at this <laughs> traditionally. And you mean they continue
1: to fail? I talk about this all the time. They're continuing to fail. I look at some of these websites, I mean, in their social media. And I, my, my one thing I always tell people, and if you're listening to this and you work in wine or don't work in wine, diversify your social media feed. That is the first step to discovering people who don't look like you. If all your social looks like you, That is part of the problem because you're not getting a different perspective. And so when I look at the wine, you know, they're marketing and I'm going, okay, so you'll have a hundred people who are all white and then one photo of a person of color and then 200 photos of, I'm like, how is this still happening? How is this still not as open as you want to be? Because the problem with, I always say this in Tony, it's a Toni Morrison quote, the problem with racism, because all this stems from racism and white supremacy, is it's a distraction from doing the work we actually need to do. It is hindering getting people in this business Promoting this business because we all know the next generation needs, we need to highlight and work with the next generation. Wine prevailed for baby boomers, right? All over the world, that is what wine prevailed. How do we move into saying these people don't necessarily like, they have like the tattoos, the color hair, you know, every day, like, and they're making it fun and approachable. We need to, ha- but if your marketing is still this staid, boring, old school way of highlighting your winery, how are you going to get this new generation that's into all the hard seltzers, like all of them? So I just look at this and go, we, we, they're still not getting it, even after the past year. Some of them, some of them do, but a lot of them still don't get it. That's actually where
0: my question was going to lead, because I saw you speak at Wine to Wine and you talked so eloquently about the importance of language. But you also talked about the the unspoken language, the visuals, the marketing and about not seeing yourself reflected in wine marketing and how this alienates an entire section of wine lovers who who are there drinking wine, enjoying wine. You know, the wine industry is not just white. And, you know, we are beginning to see that, but it's not reflected. So what I was going to ask is, do you think we've seen change? <laughs> and obviously a little bit, not so much. <laughs> here's the
1: thing. The, I always say this, the wine industry can take a cue from the spirits industry. I will say that hands down. We've seen the change, but here's the thing. It's kind of like when you dip your toe in cold water in a pool and you go, oh, it's cold. I don't want to jump. The, the wine industry for now needs to just jump in be okay with making mistakes. We all make mistakes. We're not going to get it right. I don't, I don't like, I don't believe in cancel culture unless you really just blatantly and I should cancel you. Like, I really just don't believe in that. I believe in learning culture. I believe in calling in culture. I, and sometimes you have to call out to call in, but after last year, it should be, Hey, let me go to my social media team. Let me go to my marketing team and go, Hey, how can we make this look better? How can we make our feet look better? How can we make our website look approachable? Also, too, like some of the websites, they look like they were made in 1998. They still have these JavaScripts, these loading pages like it's one of those things, too. It's not just race. It's also t- technology, like embracing what you can and what you have. So if you're like s- sending somebody to a link from your we- to your website, make it easy to find a one. You know, make it easy, like, oh, the story. And then you got this beautiful view and everything's loading slowly. And I'm going, where's the one? Like, okay, I wanted, I saw this bottle. Let me see this. Let me, you know, look into it. And then I, I'm on your site. I'm going to read your story. That's what most people are doing. And I think it's a lot that they, they're just slow to move. And a lot of times people are slow to change, but because the world right now is moving so fast, you you don't have to move as fast as, as the world, but you kind of got to pick it the pace up.
0: Yeah, you got to catch up at least a little bit.
1: A little, a little bit. Like, it's not going to be 100%, but you kind of need to be about 60.
0: I also really liked when you were talking, and you talk about this a lot, the importance of having the uncomfortable conversation and being okay with, Having those uncomfortable conversations because and demonstrating that you're willing to have them in order to move forward. It's like being able and open to show your ignorance and ask for help in order to make the advancement that you need to, in order to understand your market, your audience. And this is one of the things that I think is a little bit lacking, like you say, in in how the wine industry approaches its its sort of its marketing, its language is not feelings too scared to go oh we're gonna we're gonna say the wrong thing so we won't say anything at all
1: yes but we're all gonna say the wrong thing <laughs> words, nobody's gonna always say the right thing right and, and it's also learning is if if i'm talking to you and say hey I, this has happened to me it's not a time to say oh well let me tell you what happened to me no it's to say okay i don't understand that as a person who has a certain privilege based on my skin color but i can have enough empathy to say okay that happened to you and that was messed up right that shouldn't have happened what can i do how can i what how can i be a better person because i think a lot of times this whole ally has been overused and is going to say if you want to be my ally sometimes that conversation we have to have is uncomfortable and being both of us are uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable. Some people are like, I'm uncomfortable talking with you about the subject. You're uncomfortable talking with me about the subject. But if we come to a central place, I always say with grace, because I will give anybody grace to have that conversation. Okay, let's talk about it. And sometimes it's not a one-time conversation. I always say this. It's a it's conversations that continue to happen. You have to continue to learn. The only time you stop learning and stop having an uncomfortable conversation is when you die. Because <laughs> you have to work on being a better person your entire life. It, you never stop learning. And it's the same with talking about these, you know, topics of race and um, you know, things that have happened in history and also learning different history. You know, a lot of times we're taught one way of history, especially like in the US, right? And how is that like learning your own history, learning other culture history, like, and that's why I say learning should never stop until you like no longer have breath in your body. And if people want to continue to learn and to continue to have the uncomfortable conversations, I'm willing to talk to them.
0: Yeah. And that's one thing I've loved about this series on this podcast is Some of the conversations haven't been easy for me because I'm a little bit ignorant, but it's an opportunity for me to say, "Okay, can I try and learn something from your experience? And how can I then make decisions with what I'm doing, maybe with how I talk to people, with the language I use? How can I be better? And and hopefully it's also helping our listeners.
1: Exactly. And that's what we want. We want people to to look and listen to the conversations and go, okay, I may not understand right now, but let me do the personal work to really understand it. Let me do the professional work to really learn and open your eyes to like, this is happening like, and has happened. Okay. Now that I know better, I do better. And that's a quote from my Angelou. That's not me.
0: <laughs> You're bringing the big hitters today.
1: You have, I have to be, look, I, the ancestors, look, I've learned through them, especially with my own, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion training that I constantly do. I'm constantly in training on how to have these conversations. So I always tell people like, I don't say it and then don't do the work. I'm constantly working on how to have this conversation, the nuances of it, learning in my own way as well. So I'm still doing the homework as well. So it's not like I'm saying, oh, do this and I'm not doing it. No, no. I'm still like in DEI training and have been for the past three, three years now.
0: Yeah. I think, I think we all need to be. I really do. So I'm going to end on a, on a slightly more lighthearted note. Uh, Cause obviously this is the Italian wine podcast. And whilst I know you are a complete Francophile and you adore your champagnes, uh, but I wanted to ask you if there are Italian wines that you particularly love. Maybe we can swing you towards Francia Corte instead of that bottle of champagne.
1: Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's what I say. I'm a lifelong Francophile. Right? And I think that comes back to being a child, reading James Baldwin, reading Richard Wright, reading all these people from the Harlem Renaissance who studied in France, and they felt like they could leave America and feel free. That is why I tell people all the time. The reason I study champagne is because that's the method most people use to make a sparkling wine. Italy has drawn me in, and I'm trying to run away because you guys have too many grapes. I'm, that's my joke. It's like you have too many grapes. But I drink a lot of French Acorta, but I drink way more sparkling Durello when I can get it. I had never had a sparkling Durello until last February when I was there for the Valpolicella And Kevin was like, have you had a sparkling Durello? And I was like, no. What is a sparkling Durello? He had, we had one at one of the wine bars. I remember leaving the bar and going to a wine store in Verona. And I was, I bought a case of sparkling Durello, but I could only go, I had to go back a couple of, hours cause I had to go, I couldn't carry the case to the hotel. So I bought six bottles, put it in my backpack, went back to the tasting, went back to the wine store the next day, brought back. And literally I came back to the United States and I went to the wine store and said, how can we get more sparkling Durello in the store? And they were like, who do you want? And I was like, who do can we get? And we currently carry Sandra De Bruno Sparkling Dorello 36. Because I was like, I love that one. I drink that a lot. I drink a lot of different sparkling Dorellos. And so it's that but it's like, I love that, right? I mean, you know, when you ha- Like, I know everybody, you know, I love Amarone and all, and you know, all these beautiful, but like, I love Gavi, but I'm saying it's 3,000 grapes. And every time I think like, do I want to, cause I really eventually, I do want to become a Vin Italy ambassador because I love, I felt in the past three years, I fell in love with Italy the same way I fell in love with France, but in a different way. But now I'm just like, it's 3,000 grapes. It's a lot of grapes, (laughs) more of it than anything but like but even like prosecco like i drink i think a lot of times people i just love sparkling wine and i think like recently like the past couple of weeks i've been drinking a lot of then you know sparkling prosecco has finally come to the u.s so I've been drinking a lot of sparkling prosecco as well
0: Say bubbles who doesn't love bubbles bubbles who doesn't
1: love bubbles? That's the thing. And and it's so it's so interesting the way you all do them. And I tell people all the time, because I always like to say, if I blind taste it, just pour somebody a glass of bubbles. I really say if I poured you French a quarter and I poured, no, most people wouldn't know the difference between French a quarter and champagne. They just wouldn't know the difference, right? Unless they saw the bottle. That's the only reason they know, to see the label. But it's so elegant. It's so great. I really do. I I, I like bubbles. But, you know, I'm coming hard on the Italy side. Stevie is making me come, like, and it's like... <laughs> like
0: We want you back.
1: <laughs> I know, but it's just, like, I really want to, like, do a deep dive, like I've been doing in Italy. Like, I have, like, uh, you know, I have Ian's books, and so, like, the Native Grapes of Italy and things like that. And it's just so fascinating because the whole entire country is a vineyard. The entire country is a vineyard. That's all I tell people, like, Italy is a vineyard. <laughs>
0: Well, we're going we're gonna to bring you back. We're going to make sure we have a whole masterclass of sparkling wines for you to enjoy whilst you're here. Julia, thank you so much for joining me on the Italian Wine Podcast today. It's been an absolute delight as it always is. Thank you for having me. Where can our listeners find you online and on social media? Oh, social media.
1: I am Julia Coney on all social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. I am JuliaConey.com. I am ne- I will be updating my blog and redoing it in the next three weeks. So that's all coming with everything. But, you know, I reach out to me. I tell people how to email me. You know, you can email me. You can DM me. I answer. You know, it takes a couple of days, but I do get back to people, uh, I will say, because a lot of emails and DMs are coming through. But I just want to make the world and the world of wine just a little better. Well,
0: I think you're doing it and I'm so honored to have been able to share a little part of it in this podcast and seeing you present. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you everyone for listening. Uh, Don't forget to follow us on social media, subscribe, and of course, donate on the website so that we can make sure these great conversations keep flowing. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.